you are listening to On The Topic Podcast, and this week, you can call me Darns Gruber, and I'm going to be plunging to my death from Nakatomi Plaza, or just call me Dan. Uh, I don't know how to follow with that, Darns Gruber. Um, I am going to a Christmas party up the Nakatomi Plaza, and I'm throwing terrorists off the roof, and I'm Alex, and yeah, we've got a really exciting uh, episode this week, don't we? We've got a um, a Christmas special, or is it a not Christmas special? Well, well, I think I think we've already kind of given it away. But um, I mean, this year, I mean, we, we thought we'd do something different, don't we, Dan? Because last year we had a hugely successful, we're still getting actually hits now, um, our Christmas movie review. So we've got all our favourite Christmas movies and yours actually. Uh, and as I say, it's still relevant because you know not a lot's happened in the last year, at least in the world of cinema. Uh, so go have a listen if you haven't already because it's a really great episode. I put the uh, link in the description below, but we had some really good listening traction and a smattering of our favourite Christmas films. But uh, this year we thought we would do a bit of a debate, Dad, isn't it? Well, it's not really. I think it's more one-sided, but we've got something special for listen, haven't we? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about 1988's Die Hard. Um, bit of a review, bit of a... Um, behind the scenes, we've got some fun facts for you as well. Oh, yes. And I, I suppose the main argument is, is it a Christmas film or is it not? And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But before that, Dan, what have you been up to since we've uh, last been behind the mic? Anything exciting? Anything you want to share with us? Had a bit of a busy weekend uh, as we were talking off air, Alex. So Friday I did a ghost hunt. I mean, if people listen to our Halloween episodes... Uh, so I'm into that sort of thing. Um, bit of a quiet night. Had some weird things happen sort of off the equipment, but hey, it's one of those things. Uh, on the Saturday, Alex, I went to Fratton Park to see my beloved Pompey play in the FA Cup second round. Cool. Uh, and yeah. we lost to, um, well, I don't know, League Two side. It was pretty dreadful. Is that um, good? You quite remember who you played. Yeah. Um Harrogate Town, someone like that. Um, but to be honest, that's that's not for me to you know, break down to our listener. That's for three lads in the pub with my friend Ryan. Um, good podcast if you're a Pompey fan. But I followed that up by going to a burlesque show at Staggeringly Good Beer. As you do. Brewery, as you do. Um, not for me. Very unusual. Um, don't get me wrong, it, it was entertaining. But would I go to another burlesque show? Probably not. So for the uninitiated, which includes me, Dan, what what I mean, I know the rough premise of it, but what, what did you actually see? Can you give um, us the, the PG breakdown? Lots of women basically stripping down to, I mean, essentially scantily clad um, underwear, nipple tassels. Mm. And at one point, one of them had, I don't know if she was wearing some kind of belt. I was sort of a bit further back and a little bit drunk at this point. She had an angle grinder. And putting in something and sparks going everywhere. So much so, she had her tongue sticking out with all these sparks all bouncing off. Like, I, I, I don't know, mate. Huh. It's um, a bit unusual for me. But okay, what our friend, yeah, our friend Paul, um, who did who did an episode with us in the year with with his other half Kelly. He was there doing for some photo- some photography, and he's been doing this these burlesque photo shoots for a while now. And he's just so oh, yeah. accustomed to it; he, he he doesn't really bat an eyelid. Wow, yeah, so very fascinating. But mm. 
I mean, outside of all of that, pop culture wise, I've um, watched the new Home Alone film on Disney Plus. Oh yeah, just to get into the festive spirit. I mean, just just take it for what it is. It's it's not brilliant, um, but it's not terrible either. I mean, it's, it's the reboot that no one asked for, but is it, is it worth a watch at the very least? I'd say so. Yeah. Um, just, just say, just take it for what it is. It's not brilliant. It's not awful. It's yeah. It's a bit mediocre, I suppose. Okay. Uh, it'll never hit the dizzy, dizzy heights of Macaulay Culkin's Home Loans 1 and 2. Let's put it that way. No. Um, I've just finished watching Tiger King Season 2. We've uh, through the first four episodes. We haven't gone back to it, but I mean, it's just it's, it's bananas, isn't it? It's just, yeah. It's not as the first one. It's just... I wouldn't say it's, it's as crazy as the season one because I mean season one sort of hits all that backstory, whereas this is mm. like now what's going on now, and it's just when you think things couldn't get even more fucked up, but it does. Yeah, and they start introducing new people into the into the array. I mean, it's just crazy. And I've I mean also been watching Hawkeye Disney Plus. Yeah, I'm enjoying it, Tan. It's really good, uh, and I have no doubt we've got an episode lined up for that. Mm. Uh, in the future I uh, don't know whether it be the end of the year or maybe the new year but we'll see um, I just love how they've made Clint Barton aka Hawkeye sort of very human he's wearing a hearing aid yeah yeah um, so they're showing that he actually you know he's not um, you know buffed up like Captain America no, he hasn't got a suit time. of armour or anything like that he's just just Clint yeah, it's really good. And some subtle nods here and there, at least up until the third episode at the time of recording. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I think it's due to finish. Is it up to Christmas week, is it? It's due yes. It's been completed. So perhaps between Christmas and New Year, or perhaps slightly afterwards, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do a season review. But I, I think see, it should be good. Yeah, we seem to have a lot lined up, Alex. <clears throat> it's going to be a busy um, end of the year for us and potentially a January as well. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. we've got Spider-Man No Way Home coming out fairly soon. Um, obviously, got to talk about that in, in a film review. Uh, we've got our alternative Christmas message, which we do every year. Oh, I love that. Um, most anticipated 2022. Um I mean, I, I should be talking about this at the end of the, the episode, not the start. But hey, yeah, I mean, if you want to get involved in on these episodes, listener, you know, um, we'll put the all of our deets at the end. Oh yes. Um, but Alex, that's stuff about me. What about you? What What have you been doing in the in the land of Alex? Um, what have I been doing? So pop culture wise, I um went to see Eternals last week, Dan. Mm. Um, have you seen it yet? No, uh, I wanted to see it on my week off. Never got a chance to. Um, I don't really know where I'm going to squeeze in, to be honest, because I've got a wedding this weekend to to attend to. Uh, obviously, abiding by the rules, of course. Um, mm. Still doing COVID tests twice a week for work, etc. So I'm being a good boy. So yeah, uh, no, not seen it. Uh, what what's your thoughts? Is it good? Is it film review worthy or? Um, it's not in my top 15. Uh, I think it's more of a, um, a, a jump off to about two or three other franchises. And there's, there's two big mid and end credit scenes. So if you do go and watch it and the listener who's seen it, they know what they're talking about. Um, do stick around. You kind of, by this point, probably know where it's going, but no, it's, um, 
it, it it's okay. I, I it didn't bowl me over. It was worth a watch, but I can't say I'd, I'd be rushing back to the cinema for a second time. Hmm. Um, and there's just Christmas parties for little kids. Um, uh, I should probably clarify, I've got a little boy. Uh, so there is a good reason why I'm going to those. But no, it's um, it's good fun. And yeah, the Christmas decorations are up, the lights are out, and it is that season. So yes, having lots of fun with the Christmas cheer. Good stuff. Speaking of Christmas cheer, Dan, let's get into it. So Die Hard. So for those... Who haven't seen this film? I mean, it's been out for twenty nine years. Yeah, quick maths. Um, what, what's the, what's the, the the headline details? So it's released on the fifteenth of July, nineteen eighty eight. So a while ago now. But what what else can you tell us about this, Dan? Uh, it's directed by John McTiernan, and it's written by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza. Um, now it's actually based on the nineteen seventy nine novel "Nothing Lasts Forever" by Roderick Thorpe. <laughs> Uh, the idea for Nothing Lasts Forever was actually inspired by John Gilliman's or Gilliman's 1974 disaster flick, The Towering Inferno. Bit of a classic there. Oh, yeah. After seeing the film, Thorpe had a dream about a man being chased through a skyscraper by a group of men with guns. He eventually turned that snippet of an idea into a, into a sequel to The Detective. So anyway, I've sort of sidetracked a little bit there. So screenplay is by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza, produced by Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver. Um, I mean, not a massive cast, Alex, but probably two phenomenal cast um, here. Um, Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, or the late Alan Rickman, should I say? Mm. Alexander Godunov and Bonnie Bedelia. And cinematography was by Jan DeBont. Music by Michael Kamen. Now, when you look at the budget, Alex, it's not actually that much, but I suppose no. back then it's probably quite big. It's, so it's around 25 to $35 million. Yeah, it's, and I think we talked about this before when we, when we talked about, you know, late 80s, early 90s budgets. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions now with, uh, with, with small villages being um, employed for these films. But yeah, I mean... A thirty million smack bang in the middle is is a fair amount of money back in those days. When you look at the box office, I mean, it's, it took between one hundred thirty nine to one hundred forty two million, so it made its money back and then some more. Some, so I'm sure they're pretty sure they were happy with that. Uh, of course, these days, if it doesn't, if it makes less than six hundred million, people declare that a loss, don't they? Um, yeah. But but back in those days, I mean, that's that's nothing to be sniffed at. So. This is the backdrop of it being relatively well received. I think it's fair to say on release time, wasn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, obviously made enough money for them to go. Let's make some sequels. Um, well, yeah. I mean, some of them they shouldn't have done. But if we talk about the original trilogy, most definitely, yeah. Die Hard Two was quite good, but I don't think I've actually seen any of the rest. What? You, you haven't seen three? No, no, I've not seen three. Dad, is it set at Christmas? Uh... Oh, that's a good question. No, I think it's during the summertime in New York. Uh, no. But it's got Samuel Jackson in. Well, I'll better get on that then. He's um, a bit of Sammy fun, funny enough. He's not. Um, he's not effing and blinding. 
and he's not he's not quoting verses from the Bible or talking about burgers, but he's, <laughs> I, I mean, he's very good in it. He's very, very good. So I'd hugely recommend watching it. It's probably on par with, with the first one. Two, take or leave it for me in an airport that's closed down, boring. But no, this is really good. About some terrorist bombers. Well, there's a big story behind the scenes. Terrorist bombers across New York, and they've got a race to each bomb to diffuse it in public spaces. It's really, really good. Uh, in typical OTT style, Alex, uh, we have got some facts about the actors as well. Oh, yeah. So apparently Bruce Willis was not the first choice to play McLean. Uh, now, it, the role of McLean was actually turned down by a host of the decade's most popular actors. This included Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro, Charles Bronson, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson. This is a long list. Rich, Richard Gere. John Johnson and Burt Reynolds and Richard Dean Anderson. I mean, that's oh, crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, I could see Richard Dean Anderson doing it. Um, MacGyver, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also in uh, in Stargate for those uh, sci-fi fans who in the know. But yeah, um, he's a very talented actor, uh, very versatile, knows his action. Mm. But uh, I wouldn't have said, yeah, he, he would have been perhaps the best fit for this. So yeah, interesting to hear of that potential casting lineup. Well, there's some others as well, Alex. Now these are quite interesting. Frank Sinatra got first dibs on playing the role of John McClane in Die Hard. What? But at the age of 73, yeah, he was 73, he smartly turned it down. Uh, and Clint Eastwood planned to take the, a stab at playing John McClane. Um, because he actually owned the movie rights to Nothing Lasts Forever, which he had planned to star in in the early 1980s, but that never mm. happened. Uh, known mainly for work on television, Bruce Willis was paid $5 million. I mean, this is a serious payday back then. Yeah. For his involvement, placing him among Hollywood's highest paid actors. Wow. Indeed. Uh, and not just John McClane, Alex, but uh, the role of Hans Gruber was originally offered to Sam Neill. Uh, but Sam Neill ended up turning the film down. But this is where Alan Rickman comes in. In the spring of 1987, the casting director saw Alan Rickman playing the dastardly Valmont in a stage production of Dangerous Liaisons and knew they had found their Hans. Yeah, we were talking previously, Dan, weren't we, about Sam Neill? And I mean, if we look at 88, what, three years later, Jurassic Park? Yeah. You know, the the lovable father figure running around the jungles of Island Nublar, running away from T-Rex and, and Velociraptors. I don't know how I'd feel about him running away from German terrorists at the top of a skyscraper. Just I'm not sure whether it would transfer. I mean... As we were also saying, you know, he he does star in Peaky Blinders the first two seasons as um, like a, a bent copper, your favourite kind, Dan. Um, <laughs> uh, I uh, I'm not even going to explain that backstory. I'm just going to leave that there uh, for those who don't know. Uh, and and um, a Northern Irish head of Birmingham police, and he's very good. And he's is well as I described, he's not particularly squeaky clean. Uh, but I don't know how he'd, he'd, he'd be fair. 
up against John McClain. So I think I think he's mm. probably the, the best guy who won that one. I think. Oh, definitely. Uh, most of the film was actually shot entirely or almost entirely on location in and around Fox Plaza in Los Angeles. Yeah. Now, Alex, expectations for Die Hard were actually quite low. Some marketing efforts omitted Bruce Willis's image, uh, ostensibly because the marketing team determined that the setting was as important as McLean. Uh, Upon its release in July 1988, initial reviews were mixed. Now, criticism was focused on its violence, plot and Willis's performance, while McTiernan's direction and Rickman's charismatic portrayal of the villain Hans Gruber were praised. But it did win four Academy Award nominations. Now, this elevated Willis to leading man status and made Alan Rickman a celebrity. I think that's a little bit unfair, Dan, just because, and we've got hindsight, right, which is a, mm. is a wonderful thing. But, you know, Bruce Willis, I, I do think he's a, he's a talented actor. Um, and, you know, he's he's got, he's just, he's, he's sarcasm and his dry humour and <laughs> the wits. I mean, again, some of it's going to be script writing, but I think he delivers it beautifully. I mean, just listen to this absolute blinder. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. No fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? There you go. So it's, it's things like that where, you know, you just, I just can't see anyone else delivering. And so, you know, I mean, I don't know how much you want to expect of, of someone to running around barefooted in the vest, shooting guns, covered in blood. You, you're not, you're not expecting, you know, someone to recite a, a Shakespearean sonnet, are you? No. So, uh, as I say, giving it a more contemporary perspective, I'd say they don't know what they're talking about. Um, so I think you're brilliant in it personally. Well, interestingly, since then, um, Die Hard has, has actually been critically reevaluated, And, I mean, of course, it's now considered one of the greatest action films. Mm. And, uh, I mean, part of the argument, and is also often named one of the best Christmas films. There you go. But we'll talk about that towards the end. Um, I mean, just should we just blast through the synopsis? Just, just uh, run through it. Let's I do guess. it. Um, we've got some nice fun facts to squeeze in in between. Now, it's set on Christmas Eve and New York City Police Department Detective John McClane has arrived in Los Angeles, where he's actually hoping to reconcile with his estranged wife, Holly. Um, now he goes to Nakatomi Corporation, where his wife is an employee. Now he's driven there by limo driver Argyle. Is that like Plymouth Argyle, Alex? The Argyle? Um, I don't know. I don't know what the connection would be in that in that decade. Well, but we'll go with it. That's his name anyway. His name's Argyle, and he offers to wait for McLean in the garage. Now McLean goes upstairs, changes his clothes, and the tower gets seized by German radical Hans Gruber and Hans his heavily Gruber. armed team, including Carl and Theo. Uh, everyone in the tower is taken hostage, except for McLean, who was, well, he just slips away, doesn't he? He hides. He's off. He does. I think he, I think he was taking a shower, wasn't he, or something, or getting, getting prepared for, the, um, for the, the, the party, and it all kicks off. Yes, indeed. 
Now, Grieber's not a nice man. You know, he's posing as a terrorist to steal the $640 million in untraceable bearer bonds in the building's vault. Now, this is probably one of my favourite moments in a weird, twisted kind of way. Um, he he takes Joseph Takagi uh, away and, and kills him. But it's when he actually re-enters the party, Alex, he delivers the line which just cracks me up every time. He says this. I wanted this to be professional, efficient, adult, cooperative, not a lot to ask. Alas, your Mr. Takagi did not see it that way, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. We can go anywhere you want us. You can walk out of here or be carried out. But have no illusions. We are in charge. He won't be joining you for the rest of his life. Um, it's quite dark, isn't it? It is. But I just can't imagine someone like Sam Neill delivering that line and just making it... So, it shouldn't be funny, but it is. It is. And I think that's... Um... It's like that kind of that that dry wit that Rickman has, um, and the deadpan kind of delivery uh, that that kind of gives it. Um, I mean, he's not he's not the scariest of of baddies, is he? Really, but he's no. You get the sense that he is a dangerous man and he's an intelligent one. If you put the two together, he's quite he's quite the opponent. And yeah, lines like that are just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, but he's failed to get access. To, to the vault he doesn't get the codes he needs and he tasks Theo with breaking into it um, but the terrorists they're alerted to McLean's presence and one of them Tony is sent after him poor Tony Alex he meets his demise and does he um, this is one where he's he's dressed up in the in the hat and yeah. the ho 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 on the jumper yes exactly that there we go Oh, poor Tony. Well, McLean's got his gun, he's got his walkie-talkie, and he's just off wandering around Nakatomi Plaza, you know, trying trying to save everyone. Barefooted with a vest. Indeed. Um, But he uses the radio, he contacts the sceptical Los Angeles Police Department, and Sergeant Al Powell is sent to investigate. Uh, Meanwhile, McLean is just running rampant and killing all these terrorists... And, well, he recovers a bag of C4 and detonators. I mean, that's not the sort of thing uh, you really want the good guy getting his hands on, right? No, and I think for Christmas, I mean, I'm not sure what you've got planned to give to your loved ones, Dan, but (laughs) it tends to be clothing items or the odd kind of tech. But I wouldn't say a bag of C4 is traditionally what's been or what's exchanged during this Christmas period. Hmm. Power rocks up at Nakatomi Plaza's and... uh, well, he, he sees nothing amiss. Well, not until John McLean drops a terrorist's corpse onto his car. Um, I mean, that's going to shit anyone up. I mean, I know it would me. I'd probably have a heart attack. Mm. Well, you certainly got his attention, that's for sure, didn't it? Yeah. Powell calls up, calls for his backup, and a SWAT team attempts to storm the building, but is assaulted by the terrorists. Um, but John's got other ideas. He's throwing C4 down an elevator shaft, causing explosion that kills some of the terrorists and ends the assault. Now, if I recall rightly, Alex, there is a moment where John McClane tumbles down a ventilation shaft. I believe he does, yeah. He's, he's, he's got the very famous 
phrases um, as he's crawling through this lighter. I know what a TV dinner feels like. Now, when he tumbles down the shaft, uh, this was actually an accident. Uh, or, oh. or maybe an error, for a better word, Alex. Um, but in the scene where Jock McLean jumps into an elevator shaft, his stuntman was supposed to grab the first vent, but he missed uh, by a lot. Um, now, this is the footage that actually made the final cut by editor Frank J. Uriost. I think I've got his name right, but I mean, we're here we go. I'm famous for, for mispronouncing names on here, which actually. Um, makes the footage more exciting to watch. So he's actually scrambling around. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't actually planned. He was trying to not kill himself on set. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked That's about amazing. these sort of moments in Hollywood before. Mm. Um, you know, if we revisit, say, uh, behind the scenes of Jurassic Park, where the big puppet of Rexy was supposed to come down on the glass of the Jeep. Yep. But it came down with more force, knocking the glass through, and the, the kids' screams are real. So it's very much like that. Mm. Um, but I mean, there's obviously a lot more of a synopsis to get through, but we've got more facts for you, listener. We, we love it. I mean, these are things that I'm also learning as, uh, as I plough through my notes. Um, Holly's co-worker, Harry Ellis, attempts to negotiate on Gruber's behalf. I mean... Yeah, what a prick. This yeah, is... he's an absolute tosser, isn't he? He is. I mean, this guy tries to barter and take control of, I mean, as we already established, a very intelligent mastermind and, and pissed off terrorist. And he ends up trying to um, wheedle his way to some freedom. Um, it doesn't, of course, work out very well. He ends up with his brains plastering along the wall. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's, I mean, he kind of deserved it. I think we could see that. I think, isn't he, um, is he necking on with a colleague or something at the beginning of the film? Is that right? Yeah, he's, he's a, bit, a bit sleazy, isn't he? He's... Yeah. Bit of a dick. I thought, well, you know, he's obviously a bad guy, but he doesn't last long enough to. No, a typical eighties cokehead. I think is usually how it's. I think he's portrayed. Yeah. Mm. Uh, while checking the explosives on the roof, um, Gruber encounters McLean and pretends to be an escaped hostage. Now, this is sort of a very clever, very thing good to twist. Do. Yeah, and I, I didn't see this one coming. I mean, I, I should probably say again, um, not to invite child services. I watched this for the first time when I was 10. I think. It's quite scary that age, isn't it? it? I think it really is. Um, and I might explain some of my behaviour and my um, my child development in retrospect. But anyway, that's for a different session and probably one with a, a, a qualified medical practitioner. I was going to say, are you running around plazas with C4 and detonators? No, but I do have a particular penchant for um for vests and running around barefoot. <laughs> um, but anyway, the less we talk about, the better. But no, um, I, I even I appreciate it as young Alex, who's too young to be watching to me. When it came out, I was an eighteen classified, I think. Mm. Um, and of course, I was nearly a decade off that. Anyway, uh, now classifications change, right? So some things which actually are now 15 or 12A would have been a 15 or even an 18, you know, 30 odd years ago. So things do change. But anyway, um, I appreciated the plot twist for it was. I mean, he, he pretends to be, you know, this, uh, another party goer that's escaped uh, and he's looking for an opportunity, obviously, to, to get John 
when his back is turned. And it's it is really quite a tense kind of what five or ten minutes that ends up playing out. It's it's really good mm. plot twist. I really enjoyed it. I still do to this day. Because McLean just willy-nilly hands him over a gun, but thankfully it's unloaded. So when Gruber attempts to shoot McLean, well, what else can happen? He gets saved by um, the intervention of other terrorists, but McLean, he escapes, um, but he gets injured by all the broken glass and loses his C4 and detonators. Shocking. Um, But talking of Bruce Willis, he actually has four feet in Die Hard, Alex. Oh, tell me. He does, yes. Uh, as Willis spends most of the movie in his bare feet running through broken glass, uh, the production team actually gave him a pair of rubber feet to wear as a safety precaution. Uh, now, I've not noticed this before, and I know I'll probably look at this with eagle eyes now. Um, but if, apparently, if you look closely in certain scenes, you can actually see the fake appendages. I'm not sure if I want to. It'll break the uh, break the magic, but yeah, I mean it's again a very gruesome sets of scene, isn't it? He's running around mm. barefooted, as I say, and he's he's running across glass, and of course that's going to go straight to his foot. And it ends up he re- repels the attack and takes refuge, doesn't he, in the toilets? And there's a a very famous oh, scene scrim. where he's yeah, he's just sat with his feet up on on the uh, on the side next to the sink, just digging out lumps of glass from his foot and his blood everywhere. It's, it's pretty grim. Yeah. Um, outside, the FBI agents are trying to take control. Um, they order the power to be shut off, which, as Gruber had anticipated, disables the final vault lock so his team can go and collect the bombs. Those bloody FBI members, eh? Uh, the FBI agrees to Gruber's demand for a helicopter um, intending to send gunship helicopters to eliminate the group. Now, McLean realises Gruber's plans to blow the roof to kill the hostages and fake his team's deaths. Mm. Now, Carl, he's enraged by the death of his brother, Tony, and attacks McLean and is apparently killed, or so we, we believe. Mm. Um, Gruber sees a news report by Richard Thornburg on McLean's children and deduces that he is Holly's husband. So he's now realised that Holly is McLean's wife don't oh dear uh the hostages are taken to the roof while gruber keeps holly with him i mean as you do you you want your assailant or our hero to uh you know be unnerved indeed uh mclean drives the hostages from the roof just before gruber detonates it and destroys the approaching fbi helicopters uh, all the while, Theo retrieves a van from the parking garage, but is neutralised by Argyle in his limo, who has been following events on his car radio. Well, yeah, he's just he's just he, chilling in the back, isn't he? He gets out of his limo and just punches the guy in the face. Yeah, which is brilliant. Uh, a weary and battered McLean finds Holly with Gruber and his remaining henchmen. Uh, McLean surrenders to Gruber and is about to be shot. But he grabs his concealed service pistol taped to his back and uses his last two bullets to wound Gruber and kill his accomplice. Now, this is where Gruber crashes for a window but grabs onto Holly's wristwatch and makes a last-ditch attempt to kill the pair before McLean unclasps the watch 
and well, Hans falls to his death. He does, and again, a, a very famous slow motion scene in Hollywood. I think if you even haven't seen the film, you may well have seen that scene. Mm. But actually, it's more to this scene, and we talked about it before, Dan. But what what's going on here? Well, I've got a couple of facts for you. Mm. Now, the panoramic view of the city below in Die Hard's not actually real. No. For real. It is a 380-foot-long background painting which provides the illusion of a breathtaking city view in the film. Um, It's a state-of-the-art one, too. So it has animated lights, moving traffic, and the ability to change from night to day. Uh, And this painting is still the property of the studio and has been used in other productions since. Um, I've not... I didn't find out which ones, um, but perhaps a talking point for another episode another day. That's fascinating. So there was an actual painting commissioned to artwork that's used to depict a city. And it's, I guess, got moving parts to it. That's fascinating. Yes. Wow. Um, And talking about uh, Alan Rickman's death scene in Die Hard, that was uh, also pretty scary. Now, you've mentioned this in a previous episode before, and I want to say it probably was the behind the scenes of Jurassic Park. I'm sure this came up. Uh, Yeah, or favourite action movies, either one of those ones. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, Mm. But worth diving into a back catalogue just to find it. Now, Alan Rickman... His actual falling was supposed to be done on the count of three. But to get the most out of his reaction, they dropped him on the count of two. Sons of bitches. Even though he's supposed to fall onto a a giant airbag. um, Yeah. The, the, The terrified reaction from him is genuinely real. Which I think is just, is genius, isn't it? Because, um, it is all about getting that shot. And I think they certainly got it. That slow motion look of fear in his in his face is not just really good acting. It's also genuine as well. Yeah. Outside, so as we sort of approach the end of the film, Carl ambushes McLean and Holly, but is killed by Powell. Holly punches Thornburg when he attempts to interview McLean before Argyle crashes through the parking garage door in his limo and he drives McLean and Holly away into the sunset or is it the sunrise I think it's sunrise isn't it it's been going on all night sunrise yeah but that rounds up the film and I had to dive into Rotten Tomatoes Alex I want to see what their consensus was on oh yeah on Die Hard Hmm. it's got quite a good rating holds up quite well at 94% and they said this its many imitators and sequels have never come close to matching the taut thrills of the definitive holiday action classic. Holiday action classic. So even Rotten Tomatoes are giving a nod to the fact it's potentially a Christmas film. Well, let's get on to that, Alex, because this is this is why we're here, right? Let's mm. end this debate OTT style. For you, is it a Christmas film? Unquestionably, and it's not because it's me, Dan. It's actually because of someone you already mentioned. So if we just rewind the last five minutes, 
you remember the cop who John McClane's, who was John McClane's support line? Is he digging glass out of his feet? Uh, it was Powell. Sergeant Al Powell, yes. Played by Reginald Vell Johnson. Now, apparently, Reginald, our mate Reggie, he was currently <laughs> uh, or recently speaking with Comic Book Online and voted squarely that Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie, Dan. It's not just us. It's someone who's in the bloody film. Now, he said, when I was filming the Die Hard, I didn't even think about it as being a Christmas movie. I knew that there was a Christmas theme that was going on in the movie, but it wasn't a major focus. And I never realised that I was going to be, it was going to be a Christmas movie until the audience told me that it was. And when the audience said it was a Christmas movie, I said, yes, and hell yes, it's a Christmas movie. Whatever you want to do, as long as you see the movie, I'm fine with it. But now it's become a Christmas movie. I'm fine with it as well. They showed it every Christmas and that's fine. I'm okay with it. So one of the guys who has, I mean, it's a supporting role, says that this is a Christmas movie. So that in itself, Dan, I think is quite damning if you're in the the camp of it not being. But look, let's baseline this against perhaps an actual defined Christmas film. So um, The White Christmas, have you seen that film, Dan? Uh, No. Not, not familiar with that one, I'm afraid. I haven't either, but it is a, uh, a film that traditionally is seen as a one or a Christmas movie starring Bing Crosby. I don't think anyone's going to argue that it's going to be anything other than a Christmas film. Okay, so let's, let's do a bit of a, a bingo, a checklist, shall we? So in White Christmas... It takes place during the Christmas holiday. Well, Die Hard does entirely. It's a Christmas party in the lead up to Christmas. It's a Christmas film. But White Christmas, the first and the final scenes are only during Christmas period. Okay, so let's, yeah. let's, let's let that sink in. So the quintessential Christmas movie, White Christmas, only features the Christmas period at the beginning and the end. But Die Hard has it all the way through. So already got a point to Die Hard. So the setting is a Christmas party. Well, of course, all the diehards are at a Christmas party, but it's only the final scene in White Christmas. So that's two points to Die Hard. You can see where this is going. How about a number of Christmas songs, Dan? Go okay. on. Well, Die Hard, do I have a guess of how many Christmas songs actually feature in Die Hard? A part of me wants to say zero. But you're going to tell me there's a Christmas song in there, aren't you? There's four. Four? There's no. Let It Snow. Yeah, Let It Snow. Winter Wonderland. Christmas in Holly, uh, Hollies and Jingle Bells. In White Christmas, how many do you think features in that film, Dan? Uh, four? Two. They play White Christmas and Snow. So you're so again, telling me... Die Hard has more Christmas songs than Let It Snow. Yes. Or White Christmas, even. Then White Christmas. Yep. Um, Again, there's a commonality between these two films. So there's a German ringleader. (laughs) In White Christmas, there's, of course, the the ever-ominous and particularly evil and dastardly Hitler. In Die Hard... There's Hans Gruber. Now, apparently, um, 
people have done their maths. For Die Hard, guess how many people actually die in that film? What's the body count down, do you think? In Die Hard, um, I mean, there's a few terrorists, but on screen, I'm going to probably say about eight or ten. Oh, it's 23. Oh, Christ. I guess if you, if, well, no, you're probably right in terms of terrorist count, but if you then take into account maybe perhaps a couple of SWATs, a couple of uh, innocent bystanders at the party, you're looking at around 23 number. Then White Christmas is 26,128, which is a battle of the bulge. Now, I don't know what the hell that's got to do with being Christmas film movie or not. But anyway, what I guess we're saying is there's more goodwill and nature in, in, uh, in Die Hard than there is perhaps in White Christmas. So uh, for what it's worth, there you go. Some interesting facts there. Um, and then at the very end, or the last kind of, uh, of checklist we've got here, we're looking at the selfless sacrifice, the self-sacrifice. So in White Christmas, apparently Danny Kaye upgrades Vera Ellen's train tickets. In Die Hard, John McClane runs around barefoot over broken glass to save the day. So I think it's quite clear who has the greater good needs those films so if you do up your numbers Dan I mean I'm not even counting here it's probably 7-0 to die hard over White Christmas which apparently is understood to be the quintessential holiday film all the way back in 19 I think it's 1955 or something it's absolutely nonsense so clearly die hard there in itself is a Christmas movie but if that wasn't enough just a little bit more Dan a couple of points here so it does obviously take place during a Christmas office party we established that you can't get more Christmassy than having the Christmas tree and people dancing around, having drink, you know, having drink and having a good time dancing to music. It does have the Christmas music. What's one John's wife's name? Oh, ironically, it's Holly, right? It is. You can't get much more Christmassy than Holly. Holly Gennaro, I think, is her her name in um, her maiden name in the film. So it's very, very Christmassy. That one's tenuous, but go with me on this one. Um, now there are there are presents involved in this film as well, Dan. Do you remember what what presents we're talking about? Uh, C four explosives. That is a present, but it's not the ones I'm thinking of. <laughs> uh, John's LA cop we talked about Al. Well, he buys snack cakes for his pregnant wife at the convenience store. If you remember, he's uh, he's picking up some donuts or something for his pregnant wife. Of course. The uh, the coke head Harry Ellis gives Holly a Rolex watch as a company present, and the FBI gives Hans Gruber with the access to Nakatomi Vault after shutting off a local power grid. There you go, that's a quite nice present. Now, um, the the big man with the bushy beard, Santa Claus. Well, he kind of makes an appearance, doesn't he? Um, I'm trying to remember now because I haven't seen it since last year. I always try and leave Die Hard as the last Christmas film that I watched in December. It's the terrorist in his jumper, dead at the bottom of the elevator with his Santa hat on. Uh, with the uh, with the words "I have a gun," ho ho ho, written on ho, his chest. Ho, ho. There you go, yeah. and that sounds very Christmassy to me. Um, of course, it snows at the end, so for anyone clutching his drawers here. This is firmly in your hand. There's plenty of snow. Um, but actually, interesting enough, the last time it snowed in Los Angeles was 1962 during Christmas. Wow. 
I know. And then, uh, I mean, the stats don't lie. Apparently 1.3 million Americans watched Die Hard on Christmas Eve back in 2016, which beats Home Alone, Miracle on 34th Street and The Santa Claus. So if all else, a whole nation tunes in just to watch John McClane throw Hans Gruber off the side of a building during the Christmas period. All of that, Dan, I think is a compelling argument to say this is the quintessential Christmas movie. Let's have a bit of fun, Alex. Let's head over to my personal Twitter on the 12th of November. Tell me. This is a conversation between me, Hannah and Gemma, and then we'll sort of move on to the listeners. Mm. So Hannah put up a, a tweet, did some Christmas polls on Instagram for people's favourite Christmas films. Heavily procrastinating from the wallpapering job, but still. So there was Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Die Hard and Gremlins. Now, quite frankly, mm. Gremlins can get in the sea. Load of shite. What? Home, home, wow, what, what, yeah. What, 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 why? It used to scare the living shit out of me as a kid, okay. and I don't think I ever recovered. At 30, nearly 36 years old. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen... Me. Yeah, I haven't seen this in quite some time, but what I would, would like to share with you is I went a good five or six years not wanting to eat pizza because that's <laughs> do, you, do you know do you want to know why Dan have I shared this with you before no you haven't shared this it's either in the first or second film I don't know I watched them back to back as a, as a wee nipper one of the the bad gremlins is shoved into a microwave and he's melted he explodes and when they open the microwave door again do you know what that looks like do you know what a, a melted, exploding gremlin looks like, Dan? Uh, an absolute fucking mess. It looks like a dog's dinner, but more crucially important to Alex at the age of six or seven, it looked like melted cheese on top of a pizza. So oh. from then on, whenever, which is the most, most delicious thing in, known to man, I'd, I would hasten to add. Mm. But as a little boy, when they deliver the oven pizza to your table and there's melted cheese on top, that resembles the dead body of a gremlin, you're not going to want it, are you? No. And it put me off pizza, which is one of the saddest things I think I've ever said on this this podcast for half a decade. And I couldn't bring myself to eat it. I used to to pick off the cheese, Dan. There you go. And that's why gremlins can get in the sea. It put you off God's greatest food. It was fucking tragic. So I do agree with you. It's um, it's quite a... uh, tongue-in-cheek but quite a violent film for for young kids mm. but we digress so sorry yes yeah. so he's in the lineup of uh, of all the the big films for the Christmas yeah. period so home alone amassed 41 percent home alone 2 got 13 percent and die hard just fell short at 40 percent so i Ooh. mean it was up against home alone i mean home yeah. alone's a classic gremlins got six and that was out of 128 votes but anyway on to back onto the twitter feed so i said Home Alone, then Die Hard. But you, it depends what mood I'm in. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fickle bastard after all. Now, enter Gemma into the conversation. Die Hard isn't a Christmas film. What? I replied with, yippee-ki-yay, Merry Christmas. Hannah replied, yes! Gemma replies, you are both wrong. So what did I say, Alex? I said, we're both right. 
there's a Christmas party on Christmas Eve, and there's even a Christmas tree. Tell me that's not Christmas. It's Christmas. Gemma said, it's an action hostage film. And Hannah said, with Christmas. Gemma's final reply was, plenty of films reference Christmas without being Christmas films, surely. And Hannah said, this is special, with a little Christmas tree emoji. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think it's all of those things and more. It's a hostage action film. It takes place during the Christmas period. uh, And therefore, it's a Christmas action hostage film. But we're on to the listener. So we did get quite a lot of um, feedback in the in the argument. So there's, I think mostly people agree that it is a Christmas film, but there are a couple of people that, you know, they're, they're, they don't quite agree the fact that it's a Christmas film. But we'll, we'll okay. st- let's start with Steve Stone's bold head on Twitter. Uh, anyone unfamiliar with Steve Stone, he was a Pompey player. And yes, he did have a bold head. Beautiful. Very, very good player as well. Um, got us promoted from the championship to the premiership. Um, yeah, enough about Pompey. He says, yes. Why? Because it is simple as that. And it's set behind a Christmas party. Uh, and next up. Oh, Christ, I haven't got the name, Alex. Scheiser. Not prepared for this one. But they said it's an action film set during Christmas but not a film about Christmas. It doesn't need to be about Christmas. It's just the fact yeah. it references so much Christmas stuff, as you mentioned earlier. And I think, I think Christmas, although it may not be as a nod to the Christmas film, surely Christmas in itself, the period and the festivities is almost a character in itself, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So. Yeah. So I've just jumped on Instagram. That was from Jake. Uh, next up, we've got Cody. He says, it's as much of a Christmas film as Lethal Weapon is. Um, Savage. So what is he saying that Lethal Weapon isn't? I presume so. I, I, I've not seen Lethal Weapon for many years. That wasn't a Christmas film, was it? Or was think, it set at Christmas? I don't think it is. Uh, well, I think there's snow in it, isn't it? Or was it one of the other ones? I mean, they've done so many bloody Lethal <laughs> Weapons, I don't know. Um, but yeah, perhaps it isn't. Jennifer, she's a team yes here. It's a Christmas party, and it makes me laugh to watch at holiday time. I mean, the fact you're laughing at this film is... You're a monster. Next up, we've got Amanda. She says, absolutely. Um, Christopher, 100%. The question should be, is it the best Christmas movie? I mean, that's... Right, let's debate this. Is it the best Christmas movie for you, Mm. personally? Mm, No. No, it's, it's up there, but I think if, if and this is an incentive for people to listen to off your most, fav- most favourite Christmas movie episode, mm. uh, it's, it's After Christmas. Oh, it's good. Ardman's animated classic, modern classic. It's a lovely tale of generations of, of Father Christmases. What's the plural of Father Christmas? I don't know. Maybe it's just that. Um, and they, uh, they're all coming together to deliver presents across the world. So no, that one is mine. This one's a close second, but no, it's uh, it's the animated Arthur Christmas for me. Lovely. Um, I think mine's probably, again, I'll go back to that Twitter conversation. It's going to be Home Alone. Mm, it's, it's very, very good. Um, just very quickly, Dan, I've just been, again, been quite, 
quite a few, uh, a few years since I've seen Lethal Weapon. I just Googled, which is uh, a really good way to, to cite the gist of my information. I said, is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie? Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it's, it's uh, apparently it's out of Den of, Den of Geek, which is, um, as it sounds like, it's a, it's a website of popular culture. Uh, and it says here, under the Die Hard section, Lethal Weapon is the action movie or the action Christmas movie Die Hard wishes it was. Die Hard gets all the attention, but Lethal Weapon is the most relatable holiday action film in the bloodstained Christmas canon. Guns firing, blood flying, goons dying, and an unlikely hero quipping before bringing down the big bad. Now, that was this time last year, in fact, 26th November 2021. So apparently... I'm not sure whether it's supposed to be ironic, but um, that, that previous comment by the listener, maybe they do actually believe that Lethal Weapon is the quintessential action movie during Christmas. Mm. That's an interesting one to unpack. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, couple more. Uh, we got Brad, who just says 100%. And then we got Brian, who just posted the image of the terrorist with his little Santa hat on that says, now I have a machine gun. Ho, 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 on his chest. But let's round up this episode nicely, Alex. Uh, not something that was actually from the listener, but something I saw, or something my other half saw on Twitter from Nerdist. Oh, yeah. They said this. If you start Die Hard at exactly 9.58.13 on New Year's Eve, you can see Hans Gruber fall off Nakatomi Plaza, which is better than any ball drop on New Year's Eve countdown. You're welcome. Oh, that's beautiful. What a way to ring in the new year. I know, right? I mean, there's other things you could probably do as well. I mean, if, I'm sure if you start Infinity War at a certain point of the night. It is. When yeah. Thanos snaps his fingers and, you know, there's maybe that's an episode in itself somewhere, maybe into the new year next year. Who knows? Yeah. We've got too much to unravel, Alex, over the next few weeks. We have. But yeah, I think, I think, I think we've we put this one to bed now, Dan, haven't we? I think yeah. I don't think there's any other argument. I think it's quite factual. This is the quintessential. It might be niche action hostage film, but nonetheless, it's our action hostage film during Christmas. And what a wonderful film it is! Can't disagree with that. It's beautiful, and uh, I need to try and watch it before my other half goes home for Christmas. So, uh, one of our favourite Christmas films. Very festive. Indeed. Very festive indeed. And if you haven't seen it, then please do. Um, some wonder, I do think it's some wonderful casting. Great storyline, of course. It's um, it's the cornerstone of popular culture. You can't get away from it. So um, if you are watching for the first time, give it a watch and let us know how you get on and whether you think it ages. Because, of course, we, we probably watch it from nostalgia, don't we, Dan? Yeah. Because we, you know, we grew up with it. So now, whether we... Well, not we should have done is a different thing. That's a different conversation, but we did. So, yes, um, I'm not quite sure whether it would quite stack up to today, but unless, if if you are watching for the first time, let us know on the socials. Indeed. Uh, and if you want to follow us on those socials, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at on the topic pod. And we've got Gmail, which is on the topic podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and Alex, we've got our WordPress website as well. You're better at this one than I am. Uh, only marginally is all one word, all 
all lowercase on the topic podcast.wordpress.com. All you've got to do is go onto there. We've got our ugly mugs and bios. We've got all our episodes, in fact. So if you haven't got a preferred podcast player of choice, you can stream and listen to all of our episodes from all the way back to um, uh, the weekly roundup. And you can listen to it for free on our pages. And then we've also got some affiliate content with our our thread provider, Morbid and Mundane. So go have a look, go give it a visit because it's a great little website and you could while away a good coffee break whilst having a look at our pages. Yes. And if you follow those socials, I'll always put a link in uh, all the posts which will take you to Anchor. So this is where you can leave us a voice message and yeah. be a part of the show and we can plug you in. Uh, a bit like Claire, Alex. Um, she believes uh, Die Hard is a Christmas film as well. We'll just plug that in now. It's 100% a Christmas film. And there it is. She Beautiful. believes it is a Christmas film as well. Uh, but what have we got coming up? Well, I got a bit mixed up this week, Alex. I thought we were doing... Unsung Heroes and Misunderstood Villains, but I'm sure that'll be coming out just before Christmas. Um, so if Most people want to get involved, they can. They still can now, but I probably won't be putting it on the socials because there is a lot for us to get through. Uh, we will be doing probably a Hawkeye season roundup. Yes. Um, lots of yeah. delicious Easter eggs. All the good stuff. Um, possibly a Spider-Man No Way Home review if we can get into the cinema. Oh, yeah. Apparently the tickets have flown out uh, and apparently there are scalpers, those fucking bastard wank puffins that are selling them for thousands, apparently, on eBay. Who's going to actually buy a ticket that's worth... A fiver. Well, a fiver or $10 and they're going to spend thousands of pounds. Why? Like, just to... Just- just avoid the spoilers. Take the day off and go during the day. Like, it's not... If you spend that kind of money, it's your own fault. Mm. You're bloody bellend. You, <laughs> you, you, you're, just, you're just... You're encouraging absolute assholes to take advantage. We've already had the, the nonsense to still do with, you know, the consoles. You can kind of understand for consoles, but... Cinema tickets. Cinema tickets? I mean, come on. Really? I know. Well, there's that. We've got our alternative Christmas Day message, which is something to look forward to instead of the Queen. Um, We're going to dust off your beautiful mug, superimposed (laughs) in Queenie, and it's going to be lovely. So, yeah, if you're sick and tired of the same stuff every year, gather the family, sitting down in front of the roaring fire, full of pigs and blankets and, and roast potatoes, and listen to another wonderful creation from yours truly because we give some plenty of festive cheer mm. a lovely roundup of our year and things to look forward to so celebration isn't it it's, it it's always really is. it seems to have come round really quick this year it doesn't seem that long ago that you know we were i mean the the, the height of covid um way the, the second wave and we we couldn't redo really a lot it doesn't seem that long ago which is mad but here mm. we are we're now In back f- into december and the fourth wave down, and it's not over yet. But, you know, we are still continuing, and yes, it's one of my favourites of the year. And the big one, uh, this probably won't come out until probably early January, 
Um, most anticipated 2022. Tell us what you're most looking forward to. So we're talking about films, TV series, music albums, books, computer games, or maybe it's something else because this year's was a bit unusual, you know, and we had people that were looking forward to other things, a little bit of normality. Yeah, going abroad or seeing friends and family. And I think we had a really good reflective one this in this January. Um, and, you know, what with the, the world of entertainment had some of a pause and we've now got a flurry of, of content, we'll no doubt have plenty of things to look forward to in the coming months. So, yeah, I think it'd be a really good good episode again this time around. So something to look forward to. But, yeah, we're really interested to get your, your opinions. So if, you're, if there's something specifically that you got your eye on, so it's been delayed and pushed back, but it's going to be landing in 2022, let us know and you can be part of the show. Indeed. But that rounds up for this week. Uh, I'm off to go and pull a nice chunk of glass out of my foot. Uh, I've been Dan. Uh, and I'm going to go and sit at the back of a stretch limo, drinking some expensive alcohol, smoking a cigar and clutching a teddy bear. I'm Alex. And we'll see you next time. against us, Mr. Cowboy. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker.